This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Tony is going to run the show. Am I? To how am I, how is that that I'm running the show? Well, oh, I pick, I'm I pick some of the topics. You pick some of the topics, and we'll see where what I picked uh, merges with what you picked. He said, before we start, he said he was fired up, folks. So I don't know what he's going to say, but go to it, sir. Well, okay. <laughs> first of all, should we start? Um, we need to decide category-wise. Should we start with some football? And then we'll yeah. uh, roll into some, I don't know, some some other stuff that's going on this week. All right. So football. <laughs> yes. Uh, I needed to mention. Uh, which if you follow football, you know this, that Philip Rivers, my second favorite quarterback of all time behind, ironically, Dan Marino, who also retired without a Super Bowl, uh, just retired. Uh, he played one year for the Colts, played actually very well. They lost to the Bills um, and actually might have performed better against the Chiefs than the Bills did in the AFC championship game. But uh, here's here's something that we may disagree on, Chad. So yep. I am adamant uh, that it is not even contestable that Philip Rivers is going to be in the Hall of Fame or should be in the Hall of Fame. What say you? All right, so let's just get this out of the way. Dan Marino's ahead of Philip Rivers. Oh, absolutely. Because he at least made one Super Bowl. He lost, but at least made it there. Yeah, but that doesn't even matter. Let, let me just stop you really quickly. I don't really care that Dan Marino made one Super Bowl. Dan Marino is probably the best pure passer who's ever thrown a football. So the reason he's ahead of Phillip Rivers is not because he made a Super Bowl. It's because I would pick Dan Marino on my we need to beat the invading uh, Martians team uh, for all time if I had to pick one guy for one game to fling it. That's why he's ahead. Well, I would only say that if uh... – Duper and Clayton were on the team at the same time. Otherwise, eh, not really sure about that. Anyway, I think Philip Rivers gets it on mobility because I believe Dan was just basically a statue, right? He really couldn't move, do anything of any sort. Wait, you think Philip, you're being sarcastic, right? Because Philip well, Rivers moves. No mobile like, he's completely immobile. He's a statue. Yeah. I think Philip was a little more mobile than Dan, but not, that's not a high, high bar to get over. When he was younger, when he was younger, he might have been a little bit more mobile, but not much. They're both pretty much uh, stand there and rip it. So I was I was thinking about this topic because we were going to record on Saturday and end up having to change plans. As I was watching the games yesterday, I was watching. Well, I, I was watching Tom Brady be his normal statue self, and he barely got touched. And I was seeing uh, Aaron Rodgers, who some will say is one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. And I think he's a good quarterback. But I thought, why is it that Tampa Bay, who couldn't make the playoffs last year, can get Tom Brady, Gronkowski comes out of retirement, Antonio Brown, someone falls in their lap, Leonard Fournette falls in their lap, and they can get to the Super Bowl. And Aaron Rodgers, I, I thought much the same as what's happened with uh, Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh, wasted a decade of not, not getting to the big game. They just they have talent, but they can't get to the big game. Is that because so much money is wrapped up in those quarterbacks? And that made me think of Philip Rivers. Did he not make it? He got the one AFC championship game. Is that right? Against the he Patriots? He played in one AFC championship game famously in 2007 on a torn ACL. 
against the Patriots. Um, they were 14, weren't they? What? They were 14 yes, they were, they were 14 and two. They played that game with Rivers. Okay, literally, this is not an exaggeration. This isn't, he had a torn ACL. He played the entire game. Uh, LaDainian Tomlinson, who's a first ballot Hall of Famer, was their running back. He was hurt and played two snaps and did not return to the game. And I believe, I believe that Junior Seau, who's also a Hall of Famer who was on that team, was also out for the entire game or almost the entire game. So the Chargers were essentially a decimated shell. Rivers should never have been playing. In fact, if you try to do that today, they would put you in a straitjacket. I, I mean, the idea that a quarterback, a franchise quarterback, and remember, this is 2007. So this was Rivers' essentially second full season in the NFL. He's a rising star, and he tells his coaches, yeah, I don't care. that I just had my ACL removed. I'm going to play. Uh-huh. He, he could have destroyed his career. So, yes, that was the only one they played in. They lost in a like hor- horrible weather game, 21-12. to 12. It was a slog, and they never got back. Uh, yeah. But, but you didn't answer my question. Is Rivers in the Hall of Fame or no? I think on his body of work, longevity, his body of work, and and just pure stats, yes. I don't think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, I don't care about that. Yeah, he, uh, he uh, you know, first ballot, second ballot, whatever. But he he's going to get in. He better get in. Or let me put it this way: if Eli Manning gets in, who's that famous draft class? If you don't follow the NFL in 2004, uh, Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger and Philip Rivers were all drafted that year. And people know this Eli Manning, uh, which was his prerogative had a tantrum and the chargers were going to pick him. And he said, I refuse. Uh, I'm not playing for the chargers organization. I so just said that the he what Eli didn't even say anything. His dad said, all. That. well, yes, Archie was pretty, you know, the family patriarchs. And here's the thing in defense of Archie, one of the most gifted uh, quarterbacks, particularly of that era, if you ever go back and watch some film of Archie when he was at Ole Miss, incredible, kind of a sort of a Fran Tarkenton scrambler, gifted. He looks like Opie, but he is a tremendous athlete. Anyway, he spent his entire NFL career soldiering away for the pitiful Saints. And I think he did not want his son to repeat that sort of misery uh, for a decade with an organization like the Chargers who had historically been dysfunctional and not very good. So Eli goes to the Giants and Philip Rivers goes to the Chargers and Ben Roethlisberger gets taken by the Steelers and all three of those guys are arguably going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Roethlisberger's a shoe-in. Rivers should be a shoe-in. And Manning's going to get in, even though he doesn't deserve to get in, but he won two Super Bowls in New York against the Patriots, and that's going to be enough. Well, I think... I think the fact is... He, he gets in, but I think he... He falls. It depends on the class he's in. I mean, he's retired this year, so he's got five years to wait. Um, I think he he struggles a little bit because he gets lost in that shuffle, uh, you know, a la um, Terrell Davis, who was different careers, but Terrell Davis had a tremendous career, but it was very short. Yeah, cut short by injury. Correct. And I think, you know, Philip Rivers. He never got to the Super Bowl, and whether that should or should not, it it always seems to for quarterbacks, especially, it seems to weigh heavily 
uh, on their success or failure uh, when they look at the whole family. It doesn't, it shouldn't because it's, it's not about that. It should, because it's a 53 man roster. Well, it's interesting because you mentioned, I got thinking about this when I was watching the Buccaneers and the Packers, the game that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And what I was thinking about is just how circumstantial quarterbacks getting to the Super Bowl is now Tom Brady I'm willing to say is the greatest quarterback of all time. But here's the thing. Tom Brady was very good in the first half of that game, and he was miserably bad in the second half. He threw for 78 yards and threw interceptions on three consecutive possessions, and yet he's still walking into his 10th Super Bowl. Now, my only point is, is that Aaron Rodgers, on the other hand, played actually a lot better than Brady for the duration of the game. Aaron Rodgers, and you may know this, Chad, other than the Super Bowl that the Packers won, I think in 2010, he has been now to four AF, uh, NFC Championship games and has lost every one, and some of them in very ugly fashion. So this this whole, again, this narrative about, oh, well, you know, quarterbacks who can't win the big game. Well, is it fair for us to now say that Aaron Rodgers, other than the one Super Bowl just can't win the big game because he's 0-4 in the last four AFC championships or NFC championships. And by the way, games in which his team, I believe, was favored in probably at least three and maybe all four of those games. Meanwhile, yeah. Tom Brady's going to now burnish his legend. Everyone says, unbelievable. He takes Tampa Bay to the Super Bowl the year after he leaves the Patriots. And fair enough, he played well this year. But his performance in that game, if it's most other quarterbacks and most other circumstances, they lose. They don't win because he did not play well. And I think that's, that's a fair uh, statement when you're saying that. I think it's – so here's what I was thinking, and it, this is – we've talked about this briefly in the past. Tom Brady's going to go to his 10th Super Bowl. He's won six. He's going to go his 10th. He may or may not win his seventh, um, which looking at stats would say, well, he's got to be the greatest quarterback ever because seven Super Bowls, that, that, nobody's going to touch that. But my contention is, and this applies to Phillip Rivers, I think it applies to Dan Marino to a point, not most of it, but some of it. Um, Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, most of the top flight quarterbacks in the, in the NFL take up a disproportionate amount of money on their salary cap for the team. Aaron Rodgers get 37 and a quarter million dollars this year. Tom Brady's at 25. Now you say, well, that's 12 and a half million. That's probably a couple players that you can add uh, a pretty good talent. You can add around you that you're not spending on a quarterback. Now Tom Brady has other reasons why he can do that. Most notably his wife's salary and income and his endorsements. So he can get away with that. Whereas other players say, well, I'm going to get as much as I can now. And that hamstrings, the court, the team in putting pieces around them. So is, is it simply that Tom's taken the hometown discount to get success because he recognized if I take all, if I take more money, then we don't have the money to pay other people. We don't have the team to compete or do some people say, well, I'm going to blow it out this year and then we'll just rebuild from there because I don't have any money. Is Philip rivers, a, a product of that type of environment, much like Aaron Rodgers, where I don't, I just don't have enough talent around me because that's always been the, the knock on Aaron Rodgers. He's a great quarterback who really hasn't had a lot of talent around him for most of the last decade. Therefore they can't compete. And you blame the coaches, you blame other players, but at the end of the day, 
is it selfish to say I want all I can get because my career could be very short. It could be cut short the next play. Or do I say I'm going to take a little bit less, therefore I can build a better team around me and get some other good players who aren't going to have to pay, get the league minimum just to come on the team so they can win. You know, I think that perpetuates itself a little with New England where they say, well, I can go there. Yeah, I'll get the league minimum, but I'll get a championship. You know? Well, I, you, I mean, you've talked about this before. I don't really put much stock into this idea that uh, because these quarterbacks get an outsized amount of salary compared to most of the other players on the team, that these teams are simply handicapped and can't build good rosters. Because I think it just comes down to whether or not you have good ownership and you have good management, meaning the general manager of the team. For instance, the reason that the Chargers uh, were a dysfunctional organization and who didn't look people. In fact, the people that don't think Philip Rivers should be in the Hall of Fame, they like to point to, oh, well, beginning of his career. Look at all the stars he's playing with. Antonio Gates, Hall of Fame tight end. He's got Ladanian Tomlinson. He's got. Vincent Jackson, he's got uh, Junior Seau right there. They're naming all of these sort of, you know, the, the guys that go on the posters. Okay, well, here's the thing. Almost every NFL team has a handful of guys who are studs. That's just the reality. When you're building teams, however, the reason that Rivers has a beef with the Chargers is because for the last decade that he was there, they fielded year after year after year one of the worst offensive lines in all of football. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can actually look up these statistics. I believe over the last 10 years of Rivers' career, now remember, the whole mantra for good ownership, right? Good, A good general manager is, what do we need to do to build around our best player, right? What are his strengths? How do we enhance them? For Philip Rivers, who, as we said, moves like a statue, but who can stand in the pocket under duress and deliver the ball with accuracy. What do you think you would do, Chad? What would you emphasize in terms of building that roster for a Super Bowl run? Gee, maybe making sure that we accumulate the best set of pass protecting offensive linemen we can find. Now, the NFL is not an exact science. Some guys that are highly rated turn into busts, but nevertheless, teams like the Steelers, teams like the Saints, Teams like the Dallas Cowboys during the Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin era, they managed to do those things. Phillip Rivers, for five of his last 10 years, played behind an offensive line that was ranked 30th or worse in the NFL in pass blocking. That is not Philip Rivers' fault. That's a complete disastrous failure of the people that were picking or accumulating talent for that team. But I, I would agree with you, but I still go back to my salary thing. If they had more money to spend on a front an offensive line, does he have a better offensive line? No, because they had plenty of money to spend. They have look, the roster has how many guys? 60 guys. It wasn't a question of, oh, if only we had this money, we could go get this guy. They just made terrible decisions in evaluating talent, in drafting, in and that's part of football. Now you can't get it right all the time because football uh, it's not you know, it's not mathematics. It's not a formula. So it wasn't as if, oh, if only Philip made $5 million less, we could go get this great offensive line. That, that was never the reason. They just did a terrible job of building an offensive line. They never managed to do it. And inevitably, when they would get into the playoffs, particularly, you know, the last couple times that they played in the playoffs, they couldn't protect him. And good defenses just ate them alive. And that's exactly what the problem was. 
I don't disagree. I, I think the thing is going to hold him. I think he's going to be considered the third best quarterback in that draft class. No way. Not even close. Eli, Eli is not within a galaxy of rivers. Um, he might not be, but he's got two championships and I, whether it should count or not, it does. And I think Dan got in a little easier because he had, he had better numbers than Philip. And well, here's the irony though, Chad. And I agree. I think, look, first of all, you can't compare eras. So Dan Marino is playing in a completely different era. The irony is that Philip Rivers just passed Dan Marino on the all-time list for both touchdowns and yards, which are basically kind of the two halo categories. It's sort of like home runs and RBIs, right, in baseball. Philip Rivers is now fifth in league history in passing yards and touchdowns, one slot ahead of Marino. Now, I agree with you. If you converted Marino's statistics to today, Marino would have, you know, 70,000 yards passing and a gazillion touchdowns. Um, I don't, Marino got in, yes, because he was the best pure passer of his era. I think Rivers gets unfairly knocked because he had the misfortune of playing in an era where you have arguably the greatest quarterback of all time in Tom Brady. And probably a guy that most would say is a top five quarterback of all time in Peyton Manning. And these guys were his contemporaries the entire time. So to argue, well, Philip Rivers was never the best or the second best quarterback of his era. Hmm. Well, that's because two of the guys that he played against were literally two of the five best quarterbacks in NFL history. Yeah, don't forget Drew Brees, who preceded him in San Diego. Yes, and Drew Brees is going to be more highly rated than Rivers. Uh, justifiably so. Brees has won Super Bowl and has, I mean, Brees arguably, statistically, is is almost better than anybody in terms of just yeah. the ridiculous numbers that he put up under Sean Payton in that dome. So, yeah, R- Rivers is playing in an era where there is this disproportionate number of not just really good, but literally historically great pantheon level guys. And so then to make the argument that, well, you know, I mean, why didn't he make more first and second, you know, team all pro? Well, because the guys that were constantly voted in ahead of him, even though some seasons rivers should have been ahead of them, but reputation matters. What is he supposed to do about that? I don't think a guy should be excluded from the Hall of Fame. It's a similar argument to sort of like, well, Charles Barkley and Carl Malone in the NBA. Gee, they never won a championship. I guess they can't win. Oh, well, they were playing against that Jordan guy. He was pretty good. <laughs> he was decent. He had had some, some good years. Uh, yeah, I think he'll get in eventually. I just think it's going to be there's going to be a lot of discussion in the in the voting room. And, and I think he'll get in. Let me say uh, this, Chad. If if Eli Manning gets in and Philip Rivers does not get in, I'm going to have to put on the Viking helmet and storm the Capitol. That that's all. That's all that there's going to be because that will be an outrage. And I have nothing against Eli Manning. He actually seems like he's a great guy, and he's a he's a tough hombre. He's talented, but in terms of his regular season performance, he was for most of his career an above average QB. That's that, that, that's pretty much it. But he has Gaspar two Super Bowls, and that's all that people care about. And I think after one his second Super Bowl, they really, they just cratered. The, the Giants just cratered, and I think it made the tail end of his career look a whole lot worse than it should have. But he may get in on on name recognition alone. He may get in on Peyton being his brother and Archie being his father. It's certainly possible. No, you you said it. You win two Super Bowls in New York, and you do it 
by beating Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, you're going to get in. I don't actually think that should matter all that much. It's two games. Yes, it was championship games, but I think your career should matter. And Eli, in terms of his regular season performance, which kind of also matters because that's how you get into the playoffs. Um, again, good quarterback, but a guy that, I mean, not even close to being elite. Well, I, I, I can see both of them getting in just not first ballot. I don't think either one of them's a first ballot Hall of Famer, for sure. Well, we shall see. Roethlisberger is either, to be honest. I don't think he is. I think he gets in eventually, but not based on that. I want to talk about the, the Bucks packers game and the fact that uh, the Packers haven't fired their defensive coordinator yet. <laughs> well, defense coordinator and their head coach. Uh, I mean, Matt LaFleur is not getting fired, obviously, but no. go ahead. I know what you're going to say about the defensive coordinator. Well, one, eight seconds left in the first half. I think the the Bucks were on the 40-yard line. They had no timeouts left. Yes. And for some reason, everybody in the stands and everybody at home thought Tom Brady might throw it deep. But for some reason, you've got the, I think, the seventh-ranked defense, passing defense, and you decide we're going to play short and we let a guy get behind us for a touchdown? Yeah, that was that's inexcusable. They're in cover one and they put their corner on an island against, you know, whatever the guy's name is, you know, Speedy Gonzalez or whoever that was. And the guy literally runs past him into yeah. the end zone and catches a 40 yard bomb. I mean, the one thing that cannot happen happened. And the only reason it happened, sure, it was a great throw. But if you're in the right defense, you don't have you don't give them an opportunity to throw that pass. No. And I think they cleaned it up a little bit in the second half. But I saw multiple times where they couldn't get their, they were making uh, uh, substitutions. And I'm like, that's Tom Brady on the other side. He's probably going to snap the ball and you just gave him five yards for nothing. Because you couldn't well, get butt off the field. See, now, so I agree with you that that was uh, a monumental, inexplicable brain cramp. But I still say that Matt LaFleur deciding. Yes. <laughs> okay, so if you didn't watch the game, the Packers were trailing by eight points with, I think, probably about three minutes, a little over three minutes to go in the game. Yeah. They had driven down into, they were within the 10-yard line, got to fourth and goal, I think, from around the eight. And Matt LaFleur looks at the score and says, okay, it's fourth down from the eight. Gee, I have Aaron Rodgers, the, the, the league MVP, but I'm going to kick a field goal to cut the lead to five. And then I'm going to hope that my defense, which mm, let's just say was not exactly uh, Sterling on the day, they're going to try to hold Tom Brady and then we're going to get the ball back and win. I, I just, I cannot fathom. I understand that on paper, it's somewhat justifiable, but in the moment when you have arguably the best quarterback in the league, you give him the shot to make that play. Yes, they would have had to throw in a touchdown and then a two-point conversion, but trying to sort of say, well, we're going to give the ball back to Tom Brady without trying to at least tie the game and hope that we get it back from him, I think is just cowardly. Just just an indefensible decision when you have Aaron Rodgers on your team. What do you say, Chad? Uh, well, I want to go back to the last touchdown the, the Packers scored when they went for two. So they were down by, I think it was six. They went for two to cut it to four, which I'm thinking, okay, why? Just kick the extra point. Get 
because there at the end of the game, it would have been, we get a touchdown, the next point, we tied it up and we go to overtime. Now, I will say on that on that series you're talking about, they, they went three times from the you know first, second, third, and goal. And I, inexplicably, I'm not sure what they called. I, I don't know what they were thought they were playing. I don't know who they thought they were playing. Those were horrible calls. And I see Rogers says later, well, if I didn't know we were going to kick it on fourth down, I wouldn't have called the play I called on third down. What? What, what are you talking about? You try, you try to score on every play. You don't say, well, I would have called something else because I was lulling him into sleep or something. I don't know what he was doing. It made no sense. No sense. Well, and on third down, on third down, I think Rodgers would love to have that play back because he rolled out or he basically had a clear path. I'm not sure he could have made it to the end zone because guys close pretty fast in the NFL, but there's no question that he could have gotten probably at worst to around the two yard line. And remember at that stage, everyone's assumes that you're, you've got four downs to work with. If you're staring at a fourth and two, as opposed to a fourth and eight, that also to me makes the decision a lot easier. Although I think it should have been an easy decision. Anyway, you have your, you give your op, your offense way more options. And I think Rogers is probably kicking himself where he tried to force the ball in while he was on the run instead mm-hmm. of just tuck it. He might've made it into the end zone, but if he didn't, he gives them an infinite number of plays. They can run from the two as opposed to the eight where the defense knows you got to throw the ball. Yeah, you're hundred percent right. And I think inside of three minutes and you're down by eight, you go for it because kicking a field goal, you just can't give the ball back to Tom Brady and hope we're going to our defense, which again, they're not some lockdown Legion of boom unit. Okay. They, I mean, the, 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 uh, the bucks had been kind of rolling up and down the field. Yes. Brady had all those turnovers in the second half and they stifled the passing game. But look, the whole thing for me is I want the ball. And I want the ball in my guy's hands. I don't want the ball in the other icons hands with the game on the line and he can strangle us. You, you just don't want to put Brady in that position. It's just foolish. Yeah. It, it's like with the bulls, you put it in uh in coach's hands versus Michael Jordan with the game on the line. Uh, you don't do that. You just Aaron Rodgers is your star player. Yeah. I, Let him. And here's the thing. So let's say he misses, let's say it's an incompletion. Yeah. Well, you're still basically in the same position. The Bucks are pinned back within their 10. You have to stop them anyway. And then you go try again to tie the game. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just inexplicable. I, I think Matt LaFleur outthought himself on a couple of those plays. And I think his defensive coordinator, and I don't even know the name of the defensive coordinator, but I don't think I need to know his name because he shouldn't be there. It's, it's Mud. His name is Mud. His name is Mud, and he, Mud should be not hair. Not, wasn't there a Mud for uh, Indianapolis coach for? Uh, um, this season, I don't know. No, not he was a quarterbacks coach. I can't think of his name. Anyway, uh, possible. He shouldn't. He he. This man should not be a coach because apparently he doesn't understand how to coach. Because I, well, let's not be ridiculous. He understands how to coach, but he made again all of us armchair uh, X's and O's mavens. But that's a pretty bad decision. And people that are far smarter about defense than we are, who are actually employed to analyze these things, immediately said, "What? What are you doing? Well, just, just can't well, do that." <laughs> you, you get you get a safety back there, sir. You just have a safety back there. I, I don't understand. Anyway, I don't even need to talk about the uh, Chiefs Bills game because uh, I didn't see much of a game. I, the Bills came in with emotion and left with their head between their legs because they couldn't seem to complete it. Josh Allen looked like a third-year quarterback. 
against the Chiefs. Uh, yeah, I think it's more though that uh, Patrick Mahomes looks like an irresistible force. I, yeah. I don't look. If Brady manages to beat the ascendant Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes in his prime, then he's some kind of sorcerer. I, I, I don't. I, you know, I don't look. The Buccaneers are a good team, and they can score. I, I just don't see them stopping the Chiefs. It's, it's almost as if. Whenever the Chiefs need to hit the throttle and, oh, we, we feel like scoring three touchdowns, there's nobody that can stop them. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the Bucs can score and the Chiefs can score at will, it, it seems like. When they need it, they score. And For instance, the Chiefs' offense never goes into sort of an extended swoon like the Bucs did in the second half against the Packers where Brady throws for 78 yards with three turnovers. That doesn't happen to the Chiefs. Sure, you might have a few drives where you stymie them, but by the end of the game, like basically the Bucs are going to have to score 38 points at a minimum to win that game. I, I don't think they can do it. We shall see. Uh, the Bucs are underdogs, at least in the Vegas betting at this point. We'll see what the line is right before the game on February 7th. Uh, we don't have to worry about the commercials. As I found out today, most of the big players are going to donate their money to the ad council. To tell you to get a COVID nineteen vaccine that you wow. can't get. Um, so well, okay. since Pepsi's telling me, then that makes all the difference. Pepsi, I, I wasn't going to do it, but now that Pepsi and uh, who else? Maybe Exxon, Pepsi, Coke, and Budweiser are the three oh. big ones I have today. All so, right, well, that carries a lot of weight with me, Budweiser. I, I want to let, let people know. I actually watched the Super Bowl for the game, not the commercials. So if you're watching it for the commercials, you may want to skip this year. I don't want to say. Tony, let's move on to something else. You had some other topics you wanted to uh, hit. Um, all right, let's just very quickly do a frivolous topic. We haven't done some of these in a while, and, and you haven't either. This is a first-world problem, but I find very annoying. So I have a new car because my old car got totaled, and it's, it's a nice car. I enjoy it. However, there is one feature on the car, and this feature, by the way, has been something that has vexed and irritated me even before I had it as a feature on my car. So, Chad, are you familiar with what is known as lane assist? Yes. All right. Tell our audience what lane assist, this safety nanny computer program does when you have it on your vehicle. So I don't know what vehicle you have. My wife has it on her vehicle. It basically has um, cameras uh, on the side of the car. So when you're trying to turn into another lane on the highway, it's supposed to beep at you to say there's something there. Now, Sometimes it's not a car. Sometimes it's snow or rain or the, the hill you've driven past. Uh, so it can be kind of annoying. But if you leave the lane, like if you, it's supposed to say if you're tired and you leave the lane, it's supposed to uh -huh. beep at you to up and get your attention back. I don't like it. I personally don't like it. I turn it off when I'm driving a car. But okay, I despise it. And here's the thing. It actually, yes, if you, so it, it's a program that somehow monitors where you are on the road. And if you veer, not even veer, if you nudge over across the center line, and by the way, on the highway, I am frequently nudging over across the center line because I'm peering ahead to see why the line of cars in front of me is not getting out of the way. Now, the lane assist, if it stays on, will literally try to like, it. you can feel it in the steering wheel. It's trying to tell you to go back into the other lane. My biggest problem with this fundamentally is if you are driving a vehicle 
and you require a, a program that is going to assist you in staying in your lane, then perhaps you should be taking a tandem bike to work. <laughs> I don't understand this concept. In fact, one of the ads, I think I mentioned this a long time ago. Do you remember there was an ad and I think it was for maybe Nissan and mm-hmm. the commercial showed a woman in her, her Nissan rogue or whatever. And she's driving on a wide open three lane highway and she's in the middle lane and horror of horrors. There are two tractor trailers on either side of her and her lane of course is wide open, but this poor woman is petrified because she's just not quite sure whether she can stay in that lane to get through those two tractor trailers. Again, I'm watching this commercial thinking if you're white knuckling the fact that you're not sure whether your mini SUV can fit in an open lane between two trucks, again, park the car, go home, find a remote remote job because you shouldn't be driving. So Lane assist needs to be eliminated from all vehicles by federal regulation. And here's the thing about my car. I can't turn it off permanently. So every time I start the car, again, first world problem, everyone break out your tiny Stradivariuses and play me a tune. I have to go into this menu and turn it off because they just don't trust people to stay in their lane. I. I, I just, I can't, I can't really fathom, fathom it. And here's the thing. Okay. I get it. If you're falling asleep, but it, mine doesn't beep. It just kind of jerks the wheel. So you're still going to crash into the bridge abutment anyway. It, it, it doesn't matter. You're going to, so you just insulted my wife saying you should just be able to drive between two trucks because she gets very nervous about that. So I, I'll, I'll tell her that you Well, said- then you, you tell Heather that I will, I, we will have a tutorial <laughs> and I will help her. It's maybe, maybe it is a width perception problem. I have noticed there are certain people when they drive, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not saying this is true of your wife. I'm just saying that there are certain people that when they're driving and you see them gauging distances, like they have a 30 yard wide entrance to a sheets and it, and they're driving a smart car and it appears they think that they're piloting like the USS Indianapolis. And I'm just not sure if they understand depth perception and spatial relationships. So maybe there's some, some courses that we can provide. Sure. My wife has the same problem when I'm driving between two trucks. I think it just makes her nervous with the big trucks. I, yes. I, my, my wife does sometimes do the intake of breath. Like, like we're about to, and I'm like, honey, there's, there's seven feet on either side. I'm just passing. It's not a big deal. Right. <laughs> in our we, light, light we, we can't touch that car with a pole. So we're good. We're good. Uh, I have to ask what, car are you uh sporting right now um so i decided to get a volkswagen gli um which you may say that's a curious decision but and and well very quickly only because i must have a stick and the um available options in a sedan which i also must have because i have three kids and if i get a coupe then my my you know then i would be in big trouble that doesn't work particularly because two of my my two boys are both six feet tall now um Mm -hmm. So I can't get a coupe. I have to get a sedan. And really the only choice is now available to anyone who likes to drive a manual transmission in a sedan is either a BMW, which I had and got totaled, uh, or certain Audis, although I can't get it on the Audi that I want, or a Volkswagen uh, or a Honda, but I don't want a Honda. So it's basically the Germans are the only ones that still make manual transmission sedans. And the GLI, for a variety of reasons, it's pretty quick. It's not fast, but it's quick. It's fun. It's got a lot of, you know, stuff on it. So that's what I got. Is it diesel? 
No, 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 no. It's a turbo. It's a turbo four. Um, it, it's a not as fast. Hmm? A turbo four. Here's the problem. So here's the problem. The car that I had that was totaled was a six cylinder BMW 335 XI with the M sport package with a six speed. That car is a unicorn. You cannot find it. I've apparently I had the only one in the Western hemisphere does not exist for me to go. And they don't make that car anymore. They make the 340, the 340, you can't even get in stick new anymore. The only Audi I can get in stick. Oh, and by the way, a new 340 BMW, the entry level sedan, costs about sixty thousand yeah. dollars. Um, so, nah, no thanks. The <laughs> Audi S4, which I used to have, which is a four point two liter V8 stick, don't make that anymore. They don't even make their six cylinder in a stick. So the the choice is there. There's just they're just discriminating against people that like to drive manual transmissions. I'm very upset. So what are you going to do in three years when there's no stick? Um, well, I'm going to have to find some, here's the other thing. I could have found something used, but it wouldn't have had the packages that I want. And, and then I'm buying something like this car's brand new. I would have had to pay 10 grand more for another certified used car that didn't have what I wanted for this new car. That's fully under warranty and is eight, eight to nine tenths as quick and as dynamically good. So and plus, I'm going to do some skunk work stuff to it and make it faster. Hey, we don't want to know. Keep it, keep it to yourself. Yeah. You got another topic you wanted to bring up. and uh, All right. So yeah. our, our friend that we talk about, um, Dr. Fia, um, let me preface this by saying that he has spent the last four years uh, giving his um, venting his disapproval, his outrage about Donald Trump about Christians who support Donald Trump, about anyone who supports Donald Trump. And so I become increasingly, again, he's entitled to his opinion. He's entitled to his, uh, how his faith directs him uh, to make those decisions. And I, I've said this repeatedly. I don't, I don't place political litmus tests on Christians. He does. I don't. So I've been, I've been reading, though, recently some of the things that he's been saying, and they've just been agitating me. And so I've decided now that when that happens, particularly when it's really egregious, I'm going to comment on it because here's the thing. Christians should be able to civilly disagree about these sorts of issues. And in my view, uh, Dr. Fia is saying a lot of things that are derogatory about other evangelicals that are untrue. And so I'm going to push back a little bit. So one of the things that he said in a post today, uh, he talks about Sarah Huckabee Sanders is running for governor of Arkansas. And of course, he says this as if this is terrible, because as he says, quote, for about two years, Sarah Huckabee Sanders stood up and lied for Donald Trump. Now, Chad, first question. So that's his premise, right? What a yeah. liar. Um, let me just think, who was Obama's first press secretary. Was that uh, Robert Gibbs? Yeah. Okay. So apparently, again, if we're going to go by uh, Dr. Fia's standards here, which is if you lie for a president, how dare you? How dare you run for public office? Now, I'm, remind me, Chad, because my memory is going. So for <laughs> instance, when when let's let's just use an example of uh, something that happened during the Obama administration. Remember Operation Fast and Furious? 
Uh, no, it's down the memory hall. I can't remember. Anything. Right. Okay. So, and I don't remember what was Gibbs, but he had some, he had somebody standing up there and shilling for, shilling for his administration. Right. Do, do yeah. you remember, I, I'm pretty sure this is what happened. His press secretary came out and said, ladies and gentlemen, I want to be perfectly honest with you. Here's exactly what happened. The U.S. government under the direction of the Obama administration and Eric Holder, the attorney general decided to allow Mexican drug cartels to have thousands of automatic weapons that were untraceable because we just felt like it. And when we did that, we lost track of all the weapons. And one of them was just used to murder Brian Terry, who was a U.S. Border Patrol agent. That is as honest as we can be. Any questions? Isn't that how it went, Chad? Isn't that what they said? Totally, yes. That's exactly right. right. And here's another example. I remember that whole thing about the IRS. Remember that when, oh, no. when good old Lois Lerner. Was you mongering. That didn't happen. There's right. No but I, I see again, I'm, 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 I'm focusing on how honest they were, right? Because we're, we're concerned about the lack of honesty, but that administration just on, on it in terms of honesty, because I remember what they said was, yes, um, our IRS director has illegally targeted conservative 501c3 organizations in direct violation of the Constitution and federal law for viewpoint discrimination because we don't want them to actually be able to raise money in the run-up to an election. And we're going to be honest with you because that's what we do. Is that what they said, Chad? No. Huh. Know. So apparently, whatever standard we're applying to Sarah Huckabee Sanders in in sort of a recurring theme here didn't actually exist before okay so let me let me add something to that so the washington post the last four years has been coming out with their fact checker oh uh, yes and they said glenn kessler know, glenn kessler over thirty thousand times in their opinion oh, no 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 it's not an opinion chad this well, is science he's yes, doing right. science only if they could verify the source and they agreed that the source was worth verifying uh right. they came out couple days ago and said we're not going to have a fact checker for biden because we think he's going to be much like the obama administration and they'll be truthful <laughs> and honest and we'll be able to verify everything they say or they get back to us very quickly and, and trump wasn't like that so we we're not going to do that we will look at it later but we, we don't really think we're going to need to do that so right premise there go ahead and, and i'm sure dr fee enjoys that because this is the sure. selective you know the whole truth to power thing well sure. now that the power is the people that we like we don't need no more of that truth because come on they're all good guys. They never lie to us, right? No, never, never. So remember, so now we've set up a litmus test here, and Dr. Fia has said this repeatedly, where essentially, if you had the audacity and the moral turpitude to work in any capacity in a high level for the wicked Trump administration, you really are disqualified from public service. Uh, that seems like, hmm, not really a standard that we would want to apply from a Christian perspective, but who knows? But here's what I want to comment on. So he then goes down and talks about her uh, announcement for her candidacy. And he says, if this video announcement is any indication, victimhood, fear, and quote, law and order will be the driving force of the Sanders campaign. Dun, dun, dun. Now, I want you to, here's what I want you to pay attention to. He, he listen to the things that he lists and every one of these things he puts in scare quotes. Now, when I read something in scare quotes, what that means to me is this is really not something that's legitimate. It's not a genuine argument. It's nonsense, right? That's what's, you know, eye rolling. Okay. So let me list off the things that he puts in scare quotes that apparently for him is 
fear-mongering and something that really shouldn't be talked about because it's not real. Sanders' video uses all the right words to stoke anxiety. Here's number one. Quote, socialism. Huh. You're mm-hmm. right. I, do you, Chad, do you, do you, I mean, I think it really is terrible that Sarah Sanders is talking about socialism because I've never heard any Democrat call themselves a socialist. That really is, that's really egregious. Don't, Dem- you, don't you think? Democratic socialists. They're called socialists. So. Right. I mean, like, you know, the whole Bernie Sanders guy who I think Dr. Fee also thought was kind of groovy, the guy that had his yeah. honeymoon in the actual Soviet Union and yeah. seems to want sort of a Venezuela-style economy who's an open and avowed socialist. But if you say socialist, that's fear-mongering. You shouldn't say that. That's not fair. Here's the next one. Quote, the radical left. Mm. Now, uh, uh, my question there is, does Dr. Fia apparently believe there's no such thing as the radical left? Because here's here's what's odd. I just read a post that he wrote a couple of weeks ago or maybe days ago where he speculated that evangelical extremists might try to martyr themselves at Joe Biden's inauguration. Do you remember that, Chad? Yeah, we talked about it last episode. Yeah, yeah. so... So apparently he's not going to put scare quotes around evangelical extremists, mm-hmm. even though I'm not really aware of any prior like VBS buses being driven into uh, buildings by, you know, jihadist Methodists. I mean, maybe I missed that. I'm pretty sure CNN would have promoted that 24 seven. But but the when you say the radical left, apparently that's just a group of people that doesn't exist. Uh, Antifa. Well, they're a myth, right? They're not on the radical left. Where where would you put them on the spectrum, Chad? They're probably far right. As far as yeah, I can tell. they must be. They must be because I think the Proud Boys have infiltrated. There's something going on there. So again, the the quote radical left is not a term that we're really permitted to use for some reason. Here's the next one. Cancel culture in quotes. Cancel culture. Again, Chad. Is this is this a figment of our imagination? Cancel culture? Is that just simply something that uh, Alex Jones made up? Well, obviously, Alex Jones can be discredited at all times. But I think the fact that uh, Trump was literally booted from every social media platform, Parler was taken off the Internet, uh, and conservatives have been blocked, including uh, Ron Paul, you know, the retired uh, congressman. I- I'm, I'm assuming that means it didn't happen. You know, that was last week. Right. And so it sort of fascinates me. Now, this is a guy who is highly attuned to politics. Obviously, he's on the beat tracking Trump. And yet somehow he seems uh, apparently is conveying the idea that he's just not familiar with cancel culture. I, I, I just that's a again, that's a feverish figment of somebody's imagination that really isn't going on. Huh? Yeah, I don't oh, know. Oh, okay. Um, again, we're 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 in opposite world right now, but let's let's return. That the next one I love. Quote, political media. Oh, brother. Are you really saying, Sarah, that the media is political? I, again, I have no idea how he can with a straight face put that in scare quotes as if that's some sort of embellishment of reality. I mean. I understand the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, they are all just dutiful, neutral searchers of the truth. Right, Chad? Well, hold on. I got a clip for that. 
We didn't Excellent. plan. It. I have to look for that. Let's so let me play this. It, there's there's no widespread evidence of election fraud that overturned the results. That was stated as well by the Department of Justice, led by President Trump's Attorney General in Wisconsin. There were counts and recounts. Never studied that. Even that's certified. not true. Even that's not true. Even William that's Barr not said true. that Barr said that. But there was yes, he said that. Yes, that was a pronouncement. There has been no examination, thorough examination of all the states to see what problems we had and see if they could fix them. Now, let me say to be clear, I voted to certify the state electors because I think it would be wrong for Congress to overturn that. But at the same time, I'm not willing just to sit here and say, oh, everybody on the Republican side is a liar and there is no fraud. No, there were lots of problems and there were secretaries of state who illegally changed the law and that needs to be fixed. And I'm going to work hard to fix it. And I won't be cowed by people saying, oh, you're a liar. That's the problem with the media today is they say all Republicans are liars and everything we say is a lie. There are two sides to every story. Interview somebody on the other side, but don't insert yourself into the story to say we're all liars because we there, do some fraud there, in the election. There are, not, there, are not two, there are not two sides of the story. This has been looked at in every single state. The election oh, sure there are. Certified there are two every sides to every state. story. George, you're forgetting who you are. You're forgetting who you are as a journalist. If you think there's only one side, you're inserting yourself into the story to say, I'm a liar because I want to look at election fraud and I want to look at secretaries of state who illegally change the voter laws without the permission of their state legislatures. That is incontrovertible. It happened. And you can't just sweep that under the rug and say, oh, nothing to see here. And everybody's a liar. And you're a fool <laughs> if you bring this up. You're inserting yourself into the story. A journalist I'm, would hear both sides, and there are two sides to this story. I'm, sta I'm standing by facts. There are not two sides to facts. I did not say there, <laughs> that this was a perfect election. I said it was. the results were certified. I said it was not stolen. It You're is a lie to say people are liars. You're stolen. saying people are liars if they want to investigate what happened in the election. Should That's we not what I said. The fact that tens of thousands of absentee ballots did not have addresses on them and normally were disqualified, but this time they were counted. Should we examine that? I don't know whether it affected the election or not, but I have an open mind. And if we actually examine this, we find out it didn't, that's fine, but it still should be fixed. There that was uh, Mr. Stuffalopagus and uh, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. Yeah, so that that's actually beautiful because the the one the one thing that Rand Paul said there where he's like, you're not fulfilling your role. Oh, oh no, George is absolutely fulfilling his role. <laughs> the idea that George is a journalist, I mean... <laughs> Spare me. George is doing exactly what he's supposed to do. He's a shill for the Democratic Party. And I I love it. It's like he's petulantly stamping his feet. You must agree. Say it. Say it. That it was not stolen. Say it, Rand. You have to say it. Um, so this is this is a perfect distillation of kind of this worldview. Two more, two more scare quotes I want to talk about. Again, in this idea that if you say these things. These are not part of reality. You can't talk about them because it's fear-mongering. Here's the next one. This is one of my favorites. Quote, Green New Deal. <laughs> now, my question is, again, does Dr. Fia think that there isn't something called the Green New Deal that Joe Biden and every other leading Democrat presidential contender has raised their hands eagerly and said, ooh, ooh, call on me. We think this is fantastic. And Joe Biden has promised to implement or try to implement almost every aspect of that insane agenda, which includes, just for example, we're going to eliminate the use of fossil fuels in 10 years. Anyone who thinks that, number one, who wants to do that is 
uh, I'm sorry, bonkers. Number two, who thinks that that can actually happen is bonkers. Oh, also, I know we're going to retrofit by government mandate every physical structure in America. Now, I'm perfectly content for Dr. Fia or anyone else to say, we think the Green New Deal is awesome. We think it promotes stewardship of the environment. We don't really care about its incredible destructive economic impacts or the fact that it doesn't make any sense. We love it. That's okay. But why are you putting that in scare quotes as if it's not something that the Democratic Party has openly embraced in its political platform? Can you explain that to me, Chad? Sure, it's easy because if we talk about it, it comes undone. And I've actually heard it called the Green Nude Eel. So I'm yes. not really sure if it's the same thing we're talking about. I think the reality is if we talk about it, then everything we're talking about makes no sense. The retrofit, just go to the retrofitting. Forget everything else about that. Retrofit every structure in the country. We talked about this before. With what money and how? Well, the how to me is even bigger because if you want to talk about uh, the the most government power run amok, how do you think that's going to be accomplished? What are they going to send out the uh, the Green New Deal deputies? Uh, we're to your house now. Uh, we need to check to make sure that you've got solar powers running or solar panels running your dishwasher. I don't. That is the most statist approach to any, I mean, that policy is one of the craziest agendas that has ever been promoted by a political party in the last hundred years. It just is on the face of it. It's absurd. And again, that doesn't mean that we can't talk about, okay, how can we be good stewards? I'm talking about a specific policy that has been drafted and written and you can review it. And for some reason, apparently it's fear mongering now to point out that the Democrats actually want to implement these things. And here's the final one, which I think is incredibly ironic. There was other ones. Quote, tyranny. <laughs> oh my. Oh mm. my. Are we now, now wait a minute, Chad. Again, uh, you know, my memory is failing me. I can't, I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, but I distinctly recall that folks like Dr. Fia have spent the last four years standing on the ramparts blaring the Trump of doom, huh? Trump of doom. I didn't even intend to say that, um, okay. that the guy that was running the country, uh, is an incipient Hitler is a strong man is going to send journalists to Gitmo is going to kill millions. Pelosi just said, we might have to get him out of the Capitol because he still has the nuclear suitcase. Maybe he'll try to nuke Guam, right? We lived with this for four years and yet somehow now to talk about tyranny that gets the scare quotes because don't be ridiculous. Is that, is that what we're saying now? We apparently must be. And this should call attention to something. For four years, Trump is Hitler. Last time I checked, Hitler killed himself before he was taken alive by the Allies. Trump left the White House. Now, he didn't go to the inauguration, but who would want to go to that snooze fest to begin with? He didn't go, and he left the White House. And guess what? Joe Biden got inaugurated, and now he's the president. So I guess your fear-mongering on the left was false because he left power willingly. 
so that's all I can take from is well that was, that was a close call. And by the way, you know, we had twenty thousand troops in DC. Amazing how quickly yeah. the people that demanded that Tom Cotton's editorial be taken down because it burns us precious. We can't look upon it. And they had to fire the editor at the New York Times who had the temerity to publish an opposing viewpoint that you might want to use federal troops to quell the rioting that was going on in multiple cities. Now, all of a sudden, they've got the Capitol locked down with 20,000 troops as if the Borg are approaching the edge of the Milky Way galaxy. It's, it's incredible. And one final point about this whole fear-mongery thing, he wrote another post about the fact that some conservatives have called Kamala Harris a Jezebel. All right. We're not going to get into who Jezebel is. She's a very evil woman in the Old Testament. And and I don't I don't necessarily think it's appropriate. It's not it's not accurate to call her Jezebel. I could call her a lot of other things like a radical leftist who was also a corrupt prosecutor in California. But here's the thing. Remember, let's go back to our we're going to speak truth to power to both sides. Well, now Joe Biden's in power. And what did Joe Biden just compare Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley to? Do you remember, Chad? I don't remember who exactly you compared him to. I remember reading the story. Oh, it was just that, you know, that crazy Uncle Goebbels. Oh, yeah. So in this was within the last week. Remember when Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley were exercising their constitutional right? By the way, the same right that Democratic Congress people exercised multiple elections in the last 20 years, done the same thing. Joe Biden comes out and says, these guys are like Goebbels. I was waiting for the deep historical dive explaining why actually the Nazi propaganda minister is a little bit different than two sitting U.S. senators who simply want to make sure that the election was had any any level of integrity. No, 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 no. That's not fear mongering. That's just an appropriate characterization of what they're doing. Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I wasn't going to talk about him tonight, but then. He wrote another article this evening that you might not have seen. Uh, Is there any chance that conservative evangelicals will get behind Biden? Now, I'm not sure. No. Where this gentleman was gone. (laughs) That's my prediction. Signs point to no. Well, he quotes a Washington Post article. So that right there should tell you what the, the, the bent is. What I don't grasp is he thinks it's all. He keeps giving this the cult of Trump. Now, I won't discount that there's probably some people out there who were it was a cult of Trump. What I do discount is that 75 million people voted for Trump because they thought he was their Lord and Savior. I, I discount that wholly because it's low. It's a complete load of crap and he should know better. But he seems to think you voted for Trump because you wedded yourself to power. But because you're evangelicals, you should want to get behind the wiser, kinder, gentler, more caring Joe Biden. But see, here's the problem. They didn't vote for Joe Biden because he's a snake. He's a sleazeball. They didn't vote for Hillary Clinton for the same reasons. So I'm a little confused why you think if if you think Donald Trump was bad for the country, I'm not sure how you put Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden up and go, hey, they're good for the country. Because guess what? Joe Biden canceled the Mexico City protocols. Now, nobody knows what that is. On the day after he was inaugurated, he signs an executive order canceling the, the Mexico City protocols. Tony, would you like to tell people what the Mexico City protocols are? Well, you may not know. 
I don't know. I'm trying to remember. Remind me because I'm I'm for abortions overseas. Okay, because I, I mean I know he also flip flopped on the Hyde Amendment. That's the other thing. So those are the two things. I know I was told by John Fia in October that this was the most pro life candidate. Yet, ah, oh, well, well, well. But here's the thing: he thinks Chad. it's okay for women's rights to step over over the children's rights, and, and he thinks that's good. He thinks that's okay. We've he, redefined. But here's the thing: because again, all words can be magically contorted to mean yeah. something else. We've redefined what pro life means now, right? Yes. Because we're not to focus on the whole icky. Uh, disposal of uterine contents deal, right? That that's just again that becomes just a tactical issue. Well, I don't really think it's very effective to try to repeal Roe v. Wade. Wait a minute, who started talking about repealing Roe v. Wade? How about at the level of moral atrocity that we apply to every tweet that Donald Trump sends out? Maybe we could focus on that and the fact that you're going to have to grapple with the reality that the Democratic Party is the most radically pro-abortion party in our history, including up to and beyond birth. And if you don't believe me, we've talked about this. Yeah. Look at their opposition to the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. They don't even want they don't even want babies who are born after a botched abortion to be left alive. Okay? So we're going to need to talk about that as Christians from a moral level and not simply say, well, look, abortions are decreasing. And what we really should focus on is, you know, making sure that we care for people after they're born. Absolutely. In full support of that idea. But let's focus back on the moral outrage and the obscenity that abortion culture has been in this country for the last, what, four decades? Yeah. They don't want to have that conversation. And here's another point about this, which is I'm looking at this article now, and he's quoting from the Washington Post where the author says, quote, many issues remain where a Biden administration and evangelicals can find common ground and work together to bear fruit. OK, Un close quote, full stop. Tell me one, Chad. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what he says later in the article. He says it's the role that. He said, true evangelicalism is so much bigger than that. It's time for evangelical leaders to reflect, reject the false God of politics and its ideological binaries and return to their historical role, promoting justice, modeling grace, and staying for truth. It's a role that once helped with the work and can help again of making America one nation under God where life is cherished, liberty is advanced, and happiness is only limited by our talent to pursue our dreams. That yeah, you know good. what I noticed? You know what I just noticed about that? All of that is um, that was a whole bunch of happy generalities. I didn't hear a specific policy that the author is going to say, let's all come together. So, for instance, abortion. Nah, that's not going to work. All right. How about energy policy? Well, we just talked about the Green New Deal. Uh, I don't really think there's going to be a middle ground between let's get rid of all fossil fuels. So that's going to be difficult. Here, let's talk about this one, because I think this guy mentions this. How about immigration? Now, what I, I guess Dr. Fia would say one of the things that we should do, and not just him, m many Democrats would say, look, we got to make sure that children are not separated from their parents at the border, right? That was one of the main indictments of Donald Trump, even though this happened repeatedly under the Obama administration. And there's reasons for it under federal law because asylees are treated differently than refugees, et cetera, et cetera. But fine. I think every Christian can agree that to the extent possible, 
when consistent with federal law, and perhaps Congress needs to change federal law, we should prevent children from being separated from their parents. Agreed, Chad? Yep. Okay, good. So we can sing kumbaya on that issue. However, Joe Biden has just issued in his flurry of executive orders, one of them is we're not going to deport anybody from the country. I think save for guys that are like known felons for what? The first hundred days, something like that? Yeah. Now, explain to me why, why it is an imperative or why a Christian who happens to be an evangelical who's politically conservative, what what is the middle ground on that exactly? There isn't because if you, I look at it this way. If you believe in the rule of law, then by nature of being an illegal alien, you've broken the law. You might be a nice person, but you broke the law. And the law says you can't be here. So if I don't deport you, what I'm telling you is it's okay to break the law because some laws matter and some laws don't. So therefore, whatever I don't like, we're just not going to enforce. And the laws I do like, or the laws I'd like to, with my signature, sign and change, that's what we're going to do because I'm a kind of general, except when it doesn't fit with what I want. And I'm not to, trying to placate my far left, you know, that fear mongering far left politics. That's OK. There, well, here's another one. So here's another one. One of one of Joe Biden's major uh, in, immediate initiatives. He has he is now actively requiring all uh, schools, public institutions private institutions, uh, the transgender agenda, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning meaning that men, biological males, who identify as women are to be permitted in your daughter's locker room, in their female sports. Boy, oh boy, is that going to be fun, which is already happening. Now, my question is, so so this, this trans agenda, which apparently he's adopted as one of his keynote foundational uh, edicts. How exactly is a Christian supposed to meet in the middle on that? Well, see, I don't think there is a meet in the middle. I well, think- wait, uh, well, wait, Chad, I read. Didn't you hear what I read? The uh, author said we need to come together to bear fruit. So explain to me, there should be a way to bear fruit while also supporting a uh, unrestricted trans agenda. Yeah, that, see, yeah, that's the thing. They don't want compromise. They want you to agree with them. Do what we want, and therefore we can agree. If you don't do what we want, then we can't agree because we're not going to compromise. We don't have to. We've got the presidency. We've got both houses of Congress. We don't need to agree. Where is where is the automatic uh, legal challenge to that executive order? I mean, seriously. Trump wouldn't. Oh, there, oh, believe me, it, it, this will this will percolate. And of course, this was all started by the Supreme Court's mischief in the Bostock case, which of course now has been used, and they've gone well beyond even that uh, ridiculous holding. But but I want to bring this back. So, for instance, I don't have any. I do not contest the idea that Christians should support dignity for trans individuals. They should not be demonized. They should be loved, right? We should have compassion for them. That's all That's all true. But at the level of policy, to talk in these platitudes about we just need to come together, I'm sorry, I'm going to need the particulars. And if you think that I'm going to 
And here's the other point I want to make, right? Biden uses this word unity all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was the, that was the main theme of his inaugural. We all have to be unified. Now I want to be very clear. Christians, those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ are called to be unified. Absolutely. But that is a completely different concept than political unity. And make no mistake, what Joe Biden is calling for is a unity around a particular set of political goals. It is not Christian unity. It's let's all rally around this current agenda. Well, I'm sorry, but here's the thing. I think Dr. Fia would agree with this because he's demonstrated this for the last four years. As a Christian who prayerfully considers these issues, I am not going to rally around an agenda which promotes radical trans rights, which promotes unrestricted abortion on demand, which promotes economically destructive and anti-science environmental policies. We can go down the, the list. In fact, I believe my obligation, just like Dr. Fia and others, is to op- oppose all such policies on the basis that they are harmful and destructive and will hurt people. Do you disagree? No, I completely agree. And I think when you talk about unity, you're right. Christians should be united, but we are called to be separate from the world, not united with the world. And the policies that Joe Biden is advocating and executive ordered into place are not Christian values. Now, I'm not saying you you go out and you harm these people or you you are prejudiced. No, you, you prevent them from being harmed. You you right. defend them. You don't allow them to be harmed. You stand up, and if that happens, you lend voice to that injustice. You make sure those people are punished. All of that is true. But again, it's interesting is that they never actually want to talk about what we're specifically supposed to unify around because the answer is, as you said, all the stuff that we want to do. Yes, that's all. Well, I, I think back to, I've said this on the podcast before, whenever you hear a country named democratic, you can almost assume it's not. It's almost always the opposite. When I hear these words of unification or policy or anything like this, what I hear is we don't want your opinion. Look at the First Amendment. I think that John Fia has the right to say every stupid thing he puts on his blog. I also think that, and I don't agree with them, but I think the KKK has the right to say what they want. I think it's horrible what they do. I think it's horrible how they treat people, and I think they shouldn't say it. If they didn't have that right, the First Amendment is meaningless. Exactly. Everybody should have that right to have an opinion and share that opinion. It doesn't mean you have to listen. It doesn't mean I have to give them a platform in which to do it. We talked about Twitter deplatforming. Twitter is a private company. If they want to take, they want to set rules where only far left agendas can be promoted. That's their right. It's their company. Okay. But when you make an effort to take other voices out of the mix, because you disagree with them, then you're no longer allowing the spirit of the first amendment. The first amendment has only to do with government. We understand that we're not saying otherwise, but I, I think you have the right just like I heard uh, Jake Tapper last week insult a member of the armed services who's now representative in Congress 
who lost his legs fighting for this country and questioning his patriotism. Jake Tapper has the right to say that. I think he's 100% wrong, but he has a right to say it, just like this representative has a right to speak what he believes. And I think that's the issue we come back to over and over again. The side on the left wants you to say, you can only talk about what we want you to talk about. You can only agree with what we want you to agree with and nothing else. We don't want to hear your opinion. I'm willing to have a discussion of ideas and thoughts. You, yeah, well, we, that was the that was the perfect um, the, the Rand Paul Stephanopoulos yeah. conversation. That's the attitude, which is we have declared certain things beyond debate, right? The consensus. And so this is the reason, for instance, that they label, they love their labels, right? Because it's about stigmatizing. It's not about discussion. Anyone who is skeptical about man-made climate change and whether or not it's actually a crisis, what are they labeled, Chad? They're labeled deniers. Now, what is that supposed to recall? It's wow. supposed to recall people who deny the Holocaust. Yep. Okay. Again, as, as subtle as a sledgehammer, right? But it's done with a purpose because it's done with the aim of completely avoiding and ruling out of bounds any debate on that topic. It's just foreclosed. And anyone, just like the voter fraud thing, anyone who holds these opinions, we can't really accept them in polite society. And people like Sarah Sanders, who had just the unmitigated gall and immorality to work for orange Hitler. Well, she can't really be allowed to run for governor. It's just, it's totally inappropriate. And so it's this now growing consensus that people who have aligned themselves with certain political ideas and certain candidates are to be unpersoned. Yep. And if you think I'm making this up, I mean, yeah. they, they have people at Harvard now, graduates of Harvard are saying anyone who worked for the Trump campaign, their Harvard degrees should be rescinded. I mean, yeah. I mean, that sounds like something you would do in the Soviet Union, right? We're going to, you are no longer, you are no longer on the wall. <clears throat> what do they always say in the Soviet Union, right? The future is fixed. The past is always changing. So, <laughs> uh, but this entire, that's why I had to laugh at his, his scare quotes around cancel culture. Does he not see the level to which this is going on? And I, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying, you know, Christians are being persecuted. I, I've talked about this a lot. Christians in America really don't have the right to say that we're persecuted. That, that, that is a, that is a frivolous and meaningless term in many ways. Uh, when there are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are daily, truly suffering, who are being killed who are having their children taken from them, who are having their schools and churches burned, etc. That is real persecution. America, we don't have real persecution. However, that doesn't mean that Christians should not be concerned about the direction that our public debate and our government institutions are taking as it relates to tolerating religious faith. Because we are heading in a direction where, yes, things are potentially going to get um, not so good in terms of, huh, actively challenging whether churches can have tax exempt status, actively declaring that ministers who are not going to toe the line on the LGBT agenda, they're going to have to be somehow punished or sanctioned by the government. If you think that those things are not possible, you're really not listening to the secular left, both in government and outside of government, in academia, in the media, 
in big tech and the plans that they have for people who will not assent to their new scriptures. Yeah. I want to read, I have two things before we go. I, I want to read a gentleman named Jeffrey Carter wrote a column called hate speech. He's a called points and figures, startups, markets, and politics. He's a angel investor. He wrote a post on January 25th, this 2021. And he said, I'm alarmed by the memes of Bernie Sanders and his mask and mittens. He's not a warm, fuzzy individual. He's a communist. Communists and socialists are evil people when it comes to freedom, individual liberty, and free speech. Would you feel the same and laugh if you saw a similar photo of Joseph Stalin or Karl Marx or Vladimir Lenin or Che Guevara? I'll put that in there. There's little difference between them. We're making this meme because it's cute and funny and it makes somebody who really does not have your best interest at heart into this warm, fuzzy grandpa uh, meme. And it's the furthest thing from the truth. That's, that's one, one man's opinion, but it do, does make you think. Another thing that came out today, and this was written by, make sure I read this right, uh, Ace of Spades headquarters. And it was written by a man named Buck Rock Morton. And he talks about what if the deplorables started deplatforming leftists from receiving skilled trade service? You need your plumbing fixed? Sorry. You think I'm deplorable and disgusting. You need your air conditioning or your car? Nope, you got that coexist. You got that Bernie Sanders bumper sticker. I guess you're going to have to find somebody else to tow your car. What if that actually happened? He said, now don't tell me this isn't happening because I'm being deplatformed. He said, the county and I, I live in, puts all their information on Facebook about road closures and vaccine uh, locations. So if you take me off of Facebook because you don't like how I view the world, I don't get to find that information because that's where it's at. You've taken away my ability to function in society. What if I took away, because if you think about it, most of the uh, blue collar service trades, Rob, I'm going to guess are mostly uh, Republican leaning or at least conservative leaning if not completely. So you, you miss out on a huge segment of the population when you call them deplorables and say, you don't matter and anything I think about you is disgusting. What if you didn't have anybody to fix your house, fix things in your house or your car? That'd be interesting. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but it certainly would be interesting, would it not? Well, again, if that playbook, Dr. Field likes to talk about playbooks. Mm -hmm. um, if the left's playbook is followed, and I think it would be a very bad thing for our country. It already is a very bad thing for our country. But right now, it's a one-way ratchet. And so I do think that it's going to be inevitable that what's good for the goose, right, good for the gander as well, um, we're, we're heading down a road where you wonder why we're divided? Because people are ostracizing others and silencing others and punishing others simply because they think differently than we do about certain issues. And that is, look, it exists on both sides, but that is primarily, uh, nearly in some respects, exclusively a program of the secular left in this country. And that, that encompasses the Democratic Party. And again, if you don't believe this, just go on to the Twitter feeds of any prominent academic, any prominent historian for the most part, and hear the things that they're saying about the need to shut down certain voices. We just have to police the public square because 
you know, those mouth breathers, we just can't let them say those things that we don't like because it's just too, it's too influential. We have to, and of course we will reserve the right to decide the stuff that's bad and the stuff that's, that's okay. And interestingly, all the stuff that's okay is the stuff that we agree with. Isn't that a happy coincidence? Um, so yeah, we're, we're in a bad way right now in terms of our political discourse and our, uh, ability to function as people, uh, who live, you know, in one nation, hopefully together, but we're incredibly divided. And I, I want to emphasize the fact that, and we've said this before, and I think you agree with this, Chad, my fundamental disagreement with Dr. Fia and, and others that share his views, and there are a lot of Christians that share his views, is not a political one. Now, obviously, I disagree with the political solutions and the political programs that he seems to embrace. I think they're misguided. I think they're destructive. And, and we, we're free to have that discussion. My primary issue with what he writes frequently is that he has chosen to tar other believers because of the political choices that they have made and has explicitly said that they are somehow less Christian, that their witness is compromised simply because they have chosen in their own way to align themselves with a politician that he detests. And my point is, is that if that rule is going to prevail, then there is nothing to prevent other Christians from looking at Dr. Fia and saying, your support of the Democratic Party renders you a bad Christian as well. I think that attitude is incredibly divisive. I think that it promotes disunity within the church. And I think he should he should be much more careful about the way that he casts aspersions on other believers in a very condescending and sanctimonious way because he simply doesn't like their political viewpoint. And what he doesn't seem to grasp is that that framework can be equally applied to him. You are completely right. Um, <clears throat> I think I found not exclusively, but it does seem to be on the left. There's always a look down on we're superior or your elites. We've talked about that many times. We are your elite. Uh, you should listen to us because we know what's best for you, whether it's the political elite, whether it's the academic elite, whether it's the 1%, whatever you want to call it. They they always tend to believe that everybody beneath them is no longer worthy of listening to. And this is a quote from John Hinderocker. What if the people who actually know how to make the world run were to go on strike against those who want not just to ridicule them, but destroy them and us? What would we do? I mean, you're looking down, I guess, and I think back to a, uh, a question we had from one of our listeners years ago. Um, I made a comment about I wouldn't want to have dinner with Donald Trump. And somebody called me out and said, well, you know, we're all, we're all at the feet of God. We are, we're all sinners. We're no better than anybody else. I don't see that from a lot of these Christians on, on that, on the left side. They we're mouth breathers, knuckle draggers, even if they wouldn't say those words that they look down upon us. Well, we don't agree zombies, anti-intellectual, anti-science, right. enablers of bigotry. Right. It's all bad. Whatever it is, it's all, it's all derogatory and negative towards fellow believers. As you point out, fellow believers. And I always think about that, that listener and that listener knows who they are because 
we both know this person. That was a good, that was a good call on this listener's part because I think it's important to understand we're all children of God. We're all Christians and we should be united and we should be uh, apart from the world in, but not part of. And I think too often, sometimes it probably comes across in this show that we're politics, 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 but we talked about that before. We don't, I don't get up thinking about politics. I think about it before we do the show. I think about it a little bit here and there. And my wife will always say, well, when are you talking to Tony again? Because you need to get this out of you. And I, and I do. But I don't every day think politics, politics, what's going on, what's happening, how can I talk about this? I don't do that. And I'm and not, not saying that people who do, that that's a bad thing necessarily, but it becomes to them and us. There's a them and there's an us. And if you're not us, then you're them, and therefore there's something wrong with you. Now, I don't agree with Dr. Fia. I don't agree with some other people in the church, but it doesn't mean I don't care about them as Christian brothers and sisters. They are Christian brothers and sisters, and we all serve the same master. And I think sometimes we forget that because we're petty arguments here and there about these things. I think we have an obligation to stand up for Christian values. And I would contend that I don't think Joe Biden is modeling Christian values. I don't care if he went to mass because when he came back from mass, he signed all these orders which are anti-Christian in their value scope, in my opinion. So I, I can't I can't reconcile the one with the other. And I think sometimes going to church doesn't make you a Christian. I think sometimes we get that impression. Well, he went to church. That doesn't make him a Christian. It just means he went to church. Yeah. Did, is he really serving the Lord or is he serving man? Well, we, we talked about, I think, I think a very good example of how godly men and women can handle these kind of, in many ways, you know, heated, um, highly, potentially highly contentious political disagreements. And we've talked about this is what you see, uh, between Wayne Grudem and John Piper. Yep. So these are two men who are biblical scholars. They've written a number of books together. Um, both humble men, uh, very learned, far more, far more learned, uh, about, uh, the Bible, uh, than I think either you or I combined. Um, they've spent their life ministering to people. They are mutually respectful of each other. They love each other in Christ. And yet they both reached, diametrically opposed positions on the most recent election. John Piper basically said, I, as a Christian, cannot support a man with the character of Donald Trump and all the other sort of policy considerations fade away for me because his, um, his fundamental character flaws are simply too much for me to accept, cannot support that. And by contrast, Wayne Grudem took the opposite approach and said, I recognize that Donald Trump is a flawed man. I don't agree uh, with many of the things that he says or things that he does. However, my analysis encompasses the policies that a president is going to pursue. And why. And when I evaluate the policies that are being promoted, not only by Donald Trump, but also by his opponent, I believe as a Christian, I can't possibly support someone like Joe Biden, who stands for the litany of things that you and I have talked about that appear to be uh, just not scriptural, that are not consistent with what a Christian should be supporting uh, in terms of you, you name the issue. Now, of course, there's going to be disagreements, but my point is, is that those two men managed 
to reach very different conclusions about an election without rancor, without personal attacks, but they were also very plain and unequivocal in staking out their position. And I think that's how Christians should approach these kind of disputes, meaning with mutual respect, allowing for differences of opinion, not castigating people or condescending to them because their political choices are just beyond the pale, right? And that is what I see going on in many instances where people who are sort of of a more progressive mindset have decided that you either measure up to our litmus test about your political affiliations or we're going to draw negative conclusions about your Christian walk. When it gets to that point is where I have a major problem. And you should. I think that's... I don't know how to say it better than we need to love each other we need to care about each other and we can have disagreements, but it shouldn't, shouldn't devolve into name calling and finger pointing and questioning. I, I have no opportunity or no responsibility to question somebody's Christianity. I, I don't feel qualified to say that person is, or that person isn't a Christian. It's not between me and them, between them and God. And I think anytime you start to question, go down that road, you feel like you're morally superior and I don't think you can do that. I just don't think that's, I don't think that's God's calling us to do. I don't think Jesus said, well, you know, you guys figure it out and just tell me who you think is and we'll go with that. I, I don't think that's how it works. Yeah. Well, and you know, look, and we, we need to wrap up, but I would say that, you know, the fruit of the spirit means something and we can certainly, we can certainly potentially draw conclusions about people who are exhibiting none of those things. Mm-hmm. Right. But again, I think your larger point is we need to be very, very careful. Um, check ourselves about casting a gimlet eye at somebody in particular who, if their only sort of open um, sin, I'll use the scare quotes around that is, well, they've, they've supported that guy who just, you know, we can't have him in polite company. When you start evaluating people's Christianity in that fashion, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think there's any place for that. And it simply creates larger divisions within the church. And that doesn't mean that Christians cannot speak truth and cannot disagree and cannot take opposite positions on many different issues, because that's what we've just done for the last hour and a half. And that's what Dr. Fia has done for the last four years. And I respect him for his passion and his intellect. Uh, I just, I have a fundamental disagreement with how he has approached his critique of other evangelicals. I totally agree. I'll leave it at that because I don't need to add to it. Uh, anything else you want to add tonight, Tony? No, I think we, as usual, have have done enough, although I don't know that we ever had a, an agreement. I was hoping you would disagree with me on Philip Rivers so that my wife could, I could tell my wife that we did disagree, but well, I, we didn't. For, for your sake, I think he will get in. I think his body of work gets him in. I just don't think it's going to be in five years. I think it could be six, seven, eight years before he gets in, but I think he will get in. Um, I stand by what I said before. I think by comparison to his, his class now, he's not Eli retired last year. So he'll be a year ahead for Hall of Fame consideration. And Ben hasn't retired yet. So he may be a year or more behind. Uh, I think they're going to be compared to his era. And I think it's going to give him, he's going to be found wanting in the one criteria that is not necessarily in his control, which is winning a Super Bowl. Um, but I think the rest of his body of work should get him into the Hall of Fame. Um, 
but I think it's going to be a couple of years. I, I would be very shocked if he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, well, I, I don't think he will be. And as we fade out very quickly, what is your prediction for the score of the Super Bowl and who wins? Um, I think it's going to be 41-38 Chiefs. I'm actually pretty close to that. I think it's going to be somewhere close to 40 to maybe 28 Chiefs. I don't think the pa- I don't think the uh, Bucks. I almost said the Patriots. I don't think the Bucks can uh, can keep up in the track meet. So we'll see. Patriots. Hey, it's the Snowbirds. Just call them the Snowbirds because that's what it is anyway. Right, and we actually may record again before the Super Bowl because we have a two week uh, we got a two week break, right? Yeah, yeah. we'll so we'll be back. No All right, sounds Thanks. good. Thanks for joining us. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. Thanks for listening. This has been a Hannah Tree production.